Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Before we dive into the evidence, a warning that this episode contains descriptions of the murder scene and the body, so listener discretion is advised. If you'd like to see layout drawings of the property, photographs of the people and places, bonus episodes and exclusive interviews, then please head to the Patreon. It's a great way for you to support my work. For the price of a cup of coffee, you're getting so much more. Now let's return to the evidence. Previously on The Storyteller, Naked Villainy. Did a visitor to the building hear Brenda's killer? There was definitely activity going on in the flat at that time of the night. The jury was shown the damaged window through which the killer gained entry. These marks were caused by a lever of some sort. And a forensic scientist described how he believed the window was prized open. It was done very slowly, deliberately and successfully. It's taken 45 years to bring a killer to court. And for the first time in UK history, you'll hear the full murder trial and witness justice being done. It was a brutal murder of a brilliant woman who was a rising star in genetic research. It would now be almost like a script from Morse. The investigators swarming over the, the dreaming spires of university land. There was kind of palpable feeling of evil in the air. I was told it was just a massive blood in here. Two decades on from confronting evil. So did you kill your ex-wife Brenda Page? Evil is being confronted by the law. Did you kill him? No. She knew it was coming. He said he was going to kill her. If he killed her, he would do it so that nobody would know. Will his true nature be unmasked? Are you familiar with the tale of Dr Jekyll and Mr Hyde? And can Brenda's own words help secure her killer's fate? A letter of a death foretold. This is the storyteller, Naked Villainy, written, produced and edited by me, Isla Traquair. Retired forensic officer Eric Jensen, who attended the scene of Brenda's murder, is one of the most important witnesses for the Crown case. The jury had already been shown the window from Brenda's spare bedroom and the damage caused to it from being prized open. Perhaps because of the historic nature of the case, the window section had a more macabre presence in the courtroom, but worse was to come. We'll rejoin the examination in chief at the point where Mr Jensen explained what he was faced with when he entered Brenda's bedroom. Did you enter the flat and see what was there? Oh yes, what it was inside for quite some time. Yes. What did you see when you entered the flat? Well, initially there was a lobby and then a living room 
and a large bedroom. The pictures we are being shown here would have been another room to the back. Advocate Deputy Alec Prentice warned the court before showing the photo of the heavily blood-stained bed. When you saw that bedroom, you saw a person there, is that correct? Yes. And just describe the circumstances for us, please. Brenda Page was lying crosswise on the bed with her feet on the floor, at least one foot and possibly the lower leg being tucked in behind a white cable that one can see in the picture, which was in fact a cable to an electric blanket. She was lying back on the bed, hands something like this. And you're indicating your hands up towards yes, your up throat. Yes, up like this. Thank you. And long hair was down over her face, shoulders, absolutely matted with blood. Could you see her face? I do not think... Well, I was also at the post-mortem, so I have memories yes. of that. Yes. But at the scene, I do not think I could... From memory, I don't think... If, if you had a picture uh, that you could show me, then that would answer it. I think it was covered by hair and blood. Another photo is put on the screens. It's a metal chain bracelet type watch, which is broken. It's a lady's watch, which is broken. And where was it? Beneath the body. So you've described entering the flat, going through to the, uh, the large bedroom, and then there's a, a bedroom or room beyond that bedroom. Is that correct? Yes. Could you look, please, at photograph 15, please? And that's the extension, is that correct? Yes, that's the point of entry in, in the middle of the picture. The window with the upper part, is that the window that we looked at in the earlier photographs which bear the instrument marks? It is. And indeed part of which you have seen in court today? It is. Okay. What else do we see in that room? There's a bed to the right. In front of the window, there is, uh, I think it's called a table in my statement. I, I can't picture it, yes. but it's, it's some sort of structure, yes. like a table with a towel on top. Yes. And also a lamp, is that correct? Yes. Were there any other signs in the flat of a point of entry, apart from the window that we're looking at? None. None that had been forced. Do you recall a wardrobe in the flat? It's in this picture to the left, not, not showing terribly well. <laughs> a fitted wardrobe. Was the wardrobe such that it could accommodate a person? Yes. Was there anything in the wardrobe? From memory, I believe there were coat hangers with hanging clothes. But despite that, do you say it could still accommodate a person? Yes, someone could hide in that wardrobe. Ideally, in the seated position, whereby you'd be making no noise by your head or body knocking against 
hangers. Was there a, a door or covering of some kind? Yes, but I do not recall if it was a sliding door or a door, a hinged door. Does that mean then that a person, if so desires, that desired, could locate himself or herself within the wardrobe with the door being closed and therefore not visible to anyone in the, in the flat? Yes. Mr Jensen starts to suggest a theory about someone laying in wait, which is interrupted and stopped as it's speculation. He was then shown photos of the lounge and kitchen area and the rear of the building to establish there's a window with a Venetian blind that's in the kitchen that looks out to the back garden. This will be relevant for another statement from a witness. He's asked about examining the small window more closely for fibres, which could have been transferred if someone had climbed through it. Would I be right in saying that uh Dr. Henry, the pathologist, attended at the scene as well. Yeah, that is correct. Yes. And did you request him to take any samples? Yes. At the scene, I specially asked if he would, from memory, at least vaginal sample, in addition to one later at the laboratory. Right. Uh, sorry, at the mortuary. What about the bedclothes on the bed on which Brenda Page had been found. Did you give any instruction in relation to the... She cover? was wearing a nightdress. Yeah. And a sh what about the sheet? Did you did ask anything to be done with regard to the sheet? I took possession of the sheet. What was the purpose of that? Of, of the sheet? Yeah. Well, that was part of the... the that was part of the, the, the crime, yeah. in a sense. Did you also take possession of the pillows and the sheet and...? Yes, I think from memory I probably used the expression bedding. Yeah. Did you examine the distribution of blood stains at the scene? Yes. Were you assisted by someone in doing that? The late Terry Major, a fingerprint expert originally from the Metropolitan Police. Right. What conclusions did you draw from distribution of blood there, there was a, a pattern of tiny blood stains near the, the top end of the bed where the pillows would have been. Um, surfaces there. The interpretation was that the victim had been struck while she was either seated or lying with her head towards the top of the bed. They took a short morning break and then picked up on the subject of vacuum samples he took from the point of entry in Brenda's flat. I took a vacuum extract, as described earlier. One extract I took from three separate surfaces, but since they were all adjoining, it didn't make sense to do it separately. Yes. Um, from the inside ledge of the window, from the skirting beneath and from the carpet, between a carpet and there was a, a rug from memory, there was a rug, so all the carpet area immediately inside the window. 
it will be obvious from your earlier answers, but what was the purpose in doing that? In case the person that broke in left contact traces. This is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the Lexus Performance Line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus Performance Line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Once at the mortuary later, he took swabs from her breasts, abdomen and thighs, while the pathologist took more intimate swabs. This was done to look for evidence from the suspect that may have been transferred. They listed the bedding he'd retrieved from the bedroom, and he was handed the blood-stained sheet in an evidence bag to confirm it was the same sheet. My label is on, my name is on the label, dated 14778. Yes, that will be it. Thank you very much. Late in the evening, he was sent to Kit Harrison's house. He said it was after the post-mortem, which started around 7.15pm and would have taken several hours. He knew that Kit Harrison was in custody and the purpose of attending the house was to seize his car. He was asked if he could remember if it was neat and tidy or a mess inside, but he could not. I checked it for bloodstains. From memory, I checked it from bloodstains. We have magic chemicals that we can yes. spray in the dark, that sort of thing. So I checked it for bloodstains, probably around the, the driver's seat, steering wheel, that sort of thing. Did you find any trace of blood in the vehicle? No. No. Subsequently, uh, you, you told us you drove the vehicle, is that correct? That same evening, same evening, I drove the vehicle to police headquarters. Was there anyone else in the vehicle when you drove it? I do not recall, but it would be unlikely because having gone to 12 Mile End Place, I would have been in somebody else's police car yes. and then they would have had to take that police car back. Yes. So I, I think the answer would have to be I was on my own. Yes. What were you wearing? Boiler suit and welly boots. Were they the same clothes, clothes that you had when you had visited Brenda Page's flat? Definitely not. Why was that? Well, to avoid cross-contamination. Okay. You're quite clear about that? Absolutely. Where did you drive the vehicle to? Police headquarters, Queen Street. Grampian Police Headquarters. Right. In Aberdeen? In Aberdeen, yes. Yeah. Once you got to the police headquarters, where was the vehicle parked? Down in the basement garage area. Did you conduct any work in relation to the vehicle that evening? I cannot recall whether it was that evening or on a subsequent day with a colleague, David Smart, the principal biologist. Right. Was there an occasion when you went to the, the vehicle along with Ian Wilkie. Yes, and that was, was, I think, the Tuesday. Yeah. Would that be the 18th? I believe so, yes. Of July, 1978. And who was Ian Wilkie? Principal, well, he was the only chemist at the time. 
What was the purpose of you going to the vehicle on this occasion? Looking for evidence that could link the vehicle or its driver to 13 Allen Street. What action did you take? We would have used that same technique, vacuum extract analysis, using clean apparatus, of course. And I seem to recall we took tyre impressions. Friday 14th July, you took the hoovering, um, hoovered up debris from the extension bedroom, as you've described, yes. using the hoover device, is that correct? Yes. And then we go now to the 18th of July 1978, so some days later, you go to the vehicle. Yes. Did you use the same hoovering device? It would have been the same vacuum cleaner. Yes. But if it was exactly... I, I, having used the, the, the capturing chamber, if I can use that expression, yes. at one location, that would never be used until it was cleaned again. Right. But we did have two of them. Yes. So there was always another clean one to use to avoid cross-contamination. Do you know, after all this time, if you used the same device or not on the two occasions? No. You don't know. However, are, you've told us about the dangers of cross-contamination and the work that you would attend to to avoid that. Are you confident that was done on this occasion? Absolutely. Is there any possibility that there could be contamination from the vacuum recovered debris on the 14th of July somehow contaminating what you recovered on the 18th of July? None whatsoever. Whereabout in the vehicle did you perform the <coughs> vacuum suction process? The driver's seat and the driver's footwell would have been the most important part. Yeah. So if I were to do it again, that's where I would start. And the contents, whatever had been hoovered from there, would go into a separate bag. Then the rest of the vehicle would probably be done as a oneer yes. into a separate bag. Did you take a control sample from the vehicle? Control paint sample would have been taken, yes. Now, what's meant by a control sample? A control sample of a vehicle or surface is a sample of that surface. It may be taken from one site. Um, it may be taken from several sites just to get a, a real good sample, yes. which can vary from one part to another. And does, would that assist you in the application of what you described earlier as Lockhart's principle, every contact leaves a trace? Oh, yes. Because you have a control sample from one source, and if you have a sample from another source, comparison can be made. Is that correct? Absolutely. Right. And you mentioned the paint sample and also tire impressions. Is that right? Yes. Are these, at that time, were these fairly routine things for you to do? Certainly in a murder case. Yeah. 
So you, you wouldn't know, for example, whether tyre impressions would be found somewhere or not, but the opportunity is there. You would take the sample in case it's relevant later. Is that correct? It was simply being thorough. Thank you. Do you recall taking possession of rock and shell fragments as well? From reading my statement quite recently, yes, um, that's in my statement, yeah. but I don't remember, I can't picture the stuff. Okay. And newspapers? Yes. Does any of that help you with how tidy or otherwise the vehicle was? I cannot picture. Okay. Now, did you attend within 12 Mile End Place at some point? Yes. Do you recall when that was? I was inside the, 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 the house um, briefly on the same evening that I took possession of the vehicle yes. from outside. That would have been Friday. I believe I was back on the Sunday with several people from the Identification Bureau. Do you recall a, a watch strap being recovered? Yes. Who recovered Do. that? Pardon? Who recovered that? One of the detectives recovered it. Were you present when that was done? He came and showed it to me. <coughs> and I think at that stage I took possession of it. The watch strap in a plastic evidence bag was handed to him and he identified it as being the same one recovered from a fireplace at Kit's house. What condition was the watch strap in? Well, there was no watch attached to it. Yeah. And what about the condition of the strap? Was it pristine and new or was it...? No, it was a bit dirty. Right. Did you carry out any test on the watch strap? Yes. But I, I personally did see two tiny stains on the underside, the inside, if, I, if I'm right, the inside of the strap. Two tiny blood-like stains, which at least one of them was tested. And tested in what way? It was tested um, in what we would call a presumptive test for blood. Where was that done? In the laboratory. And what was the result of the presumptive test? Positive. For blood? For haemoglobin yeah. found in blood. Now, we can see in the photograph there are a couple of what might be described as nicks out of the watch strap. How did that come about? Where are the nicks? Or do, you, do you see nicks at the, at the bottom line? Were, were samples taken from the watch strap? I believe so. There is a story to that watch strap because it went beyond the laboratory. Yes. Um, at the stage of testing it, you would normally use a little bit of filter paper folded to give a corner, and you would rub that on the stain. Then you would apply chemicals to that to produce the test. Yes. Um, at that point, there would be no need for me or David Smart to actually cut anything out. So I, I really can't explain any nicks. So all you could really assist us with then is that there was the positive reaction from your presumptive test that you've explained 
on this watch strap? Yes, but there was a decision taken to put the watch strap to the Metropolitan Police Lab. We were clearly dealing with a tiny quantity of blood here. Now, in any normal blood grouping situation in a forensic aspect, the first thing you would do would be to show that it was human blood, especially if it was a tiny, tiny stain. Then you could apply, you could test it for a blood group, such as the ABO blood group. But David, I think, was the guy that decided that there wasn't going to be enough blood on the sec certainly the second stain to test it for human origin and then do an ABO blood group. So the decision was taken that although it would go completely against the norm, well, I, sh I should say that we knew by this stage that the victim, Brenda Page, was blood group O and that Christopher Harrison was blood group A. And it was felt that if that watch strap had blood group O on it, as distinct from Mr. Harrison's A blood group, that could help the detectives, even though we couldn't show that it was human. So that's why the watch strap went to the Metropolitan Police with the detective going with them to say, right, look, we don't want it human blood tested. We want to know, is it blood group A or blood group O? And it came back. We've tested it for human and it's positive. So, so we don't know what grouping it was. Back in 78, that was the situation. Okay. So all we can say is there are two small stains of human blood, but beyond that, we can't say any more. No, no, we can only say that one of the stains was human blood, because the presumptive test for blood doesn't show it's human. I see. It merely shows that haemoglobin is there, and that's yeah. found in the blood of all yeah. mammals, and uh, certainly a good group of the vertebrates. I'm going to make an exception here and interrupt the evidence to acknowledge the importance of this mistake by the Met Police in London. If they had determined the blood type as the same as Brenda's, that could have been enough for the police to charge Kit Harrison in 1978. Not conclusive proof he murdered her, but a damning speck of blood nonetheless. You may remember journalist Alison Shaw from series one. She and I have known each other since I was a teenager when we covered court cases together for our respective newspapers. And even though she no longer works in news, she attended the trial and we sat side by side throughout. She was a young reporter at the time of Brenda's murder. And I'll play you her full interview and insights later, as I don't want to give away parts of the evidence you've yet to hear. But this was one moment we were both shocked by. They discovered it had a tiny spot of blood on it. Now it was so small that if you did one examination of it, you wouldn't have anything left to do any further examinations of it. So the key thing was to find out whose blood it was. And we were sitting there with bated breath thinking, oh my God, if it's O negative, or it was o, the O uh, blood group, 
it's hers, and if it's A, it's his. So obviously if it was O, that would have been the bit of information they needed. And then, God, it was such, must have been such a blow to the police and the prosecution when they realised they'd sent it away for a specialist um, examination at some other lab, at the, the, the Met, yeah. yeah, that's right, the Met Police. And they said, don't um, examine it to find out if it's human blood, because it didn't really matter. But what we need to know is the blood type. And it came back and said, yes, they can confirm it's human blood. And we thought, no, that wasn't what they wanted them to do. And that meant it was gone, as far as I'm aware. I think if there had been any left, they would have um, re-examined it again. But I just thought, God, that was the one thing we were hoping. One thing, but not the only thing, as we were about to find out. In the next episode of The Storyteller, Naked Villainy, a clue linking Kit Harrison's car to the point of entry at Brenda's flat. A tiny piece of paint which looked identical. The historic methods of collecting evidence brought into question. Did you think rustling up the top of a bag and tying a bit of string on it was a, a good method of sealing a bag? And an attempt to cast doubt on the reliability of forensics. How did you avoid cross-contamination between entering 12 Mile End Place and entering the car? Well, those two things are connected. If you've enjoyed this episode, please rate and review as it makes a huge difference to guiding people to hearing this important story. This is an entirely independent production and your support is greatly appreciated. And if you want to hear exclusive interviews, longer episodes and insights, please head to the Patreon. The link is in the show notes. Thank you again for listening. This is a piece of history and you are for the first time in this format witnessing justice being done. <laughs>